I think we're kind of beyond the stage of worry. We need to be prepared at least that we are going to have a large number of infections. We are going to have a sizable number of people who die of this. And that this is something that we are going to be talking about a decade or two from now. Scientists and medical doctors are doing everything they can. And there's a glimmer of hope. Well, little column A, little column B. First of all, I just want to tell you what a great show you got. I listen to you all the time. Thank you, thank you. What do you want to talk about? Hey, did I tell you guys I got a goat? Yeah, baby! <laughs> well, good morning, good evening, or good afternoon, wherever you are, whatever you do. A lot of things happening in the world today. Most of them are far beyond our control, you might say. So perhaps it's time we took a pause and thought about life. What about the laws of gravity, culture, science, medicine, politics, and or the news? Don't touch that dial. Just try to hear me out for a little while. Well, like pretty much everybody else, well, except for a few morons here and there, I am self-isolating. That said, my emotions seem to run a gamut from deep concern to hopeful and positive. Whenever I get the chance when I feel like that, though, I like to go outside and connect to the very depths of my soul. When I went out decided to do that the other night, though, the sky was blotted out, completely dark. What else is new? Am I right? Here's how you get a hold of me. The text machine is area code 209-565-DAVE. That's 209-565-3283. The email dave at thedavebowmanshow.com. And of course, we're on the web. Just look for The Dave Bowman Show on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, and whatever preferred non-denominational web search browser you use can take you to thedavebowmanshow.com. Ego Biberi Capulis at Oliva Verve. I drink coffee so that others might live. It's true. I I've said this for a long time. I have a connection to a certain part of the sky that is deep in my soul and it's hard to explain to people and I don't like to explain it to people because I don't even like to tell people this because they look at you like you're weird. I it goes back a long way. It really does. Like many of you, I have spent the last couple of weeks, in particular the last few days, um, contemplating what's going on in our country and what's going on in the world, really, with some sense of reservation, some sense of concern, and at the same time, hopefulness. I, I, I think I'm pretty average when it comes to this. I, I have enough people in my life who can't wait to tell me that this whole thing is just a fraud, that it's just a government scheme, that it's just a, a new world order thing to take away your rights and um, enslave us again and all. And, and I get a lot of those people in my life, and I'm not naive enough to believe that there isn't some element of our government that sees this crisis as an opportunity to reshape things the way they want them to be. And in fact, we know that to be the case because at least one congressman was stupid enough to say that. That said, I also don't believe that this was planned. I'm sorry, there's just too much evidence that it was not planned to jump on that bandwagon. Doesn't mean that 
there aren't those who won't take advantage of it. There will be. Doesn't mean there aren't people that won't buy 17,000 bottles of hand sanitizer and try to sell it, resell it to you at $9 a bottle. Those people exist. They, they happen. But my emotional swings, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm not like bipolar swings here. That's not what I'm talking about. But I can go from moments where I'm deeply concerned about tomorrow to moments where I'm fully confident that, that this whole thing is not going to be a problem. And the unfortunate thing for me is when those moments of, I don't want to call them despair because I don't think it is despair, but when those moments of deep concern come to me, whether it's about the COVID virus or finances or anything else, I like to go outside at night and look up at the stars. Now, that may sound strange to you, but for someone like me who grew up in the Apollo era, Gemini Apollo era, um, I was born right at the end of Mercury, and I grew up watching Gemini flights and Apollo flights as a little child and moon landings and space shuttles and sky labs and all that kind of stuff. And of course, in the midst of all that was Star Trek, this incredibly optimistic view of what tomorrow would be. For me, the stars represent a foundational element of my soul. They are something to which I personally deeply connect. As I have gotten older and as I have begun to understand Einstein and physics and Hawking and that stuff, uh, you know, again, I'm not a mathematician or a physicist, but I've read their books. I get the concepts. I know what I'm I know what I'm talking about with it. And as I've as I've drawn myself into those things, I become even more connected to them, I feel like. And I've always felt that way. For me, I have referred to since literally the day I discovered it, uh the constellation Orion. I have referred to that as my oldest friend. It is not unusual. I know this will sound strange to some of you, but it is not unusual for me to go outside look up in the sky, right out of my front yard right now, and literally talk to the constellation Orion. It's, again, I don't know that it's something I can explain to you. I'm not sure you would understand it even if I could. But in the way that some people talk with deceased loved ones, communicate with themselves, I, I guess some psychiatrist would tell me it's just me really talking to myself, and that's fine. But for me, though that group of stars in particular, and there are all kinds of constellations, and you know this, but that particular group of stars, for reasons that until recently I didn't really grasp, connects with me. Of course, it is the hunter, Orion, with its famous star, uh, Betelgeuse, which is not spelled the same as the, the guy in the movie up there in the left-hand corner, the red giant which until last week they thought was getting ready to explode, uh, but it isn't. It's not. Uh, it was just some dust settling around, and there you go. It was um, one of the brightest stars in the sky, one of the biggest stars that we know of. And for me to stand out in my front lawn and look up at the night sky and see Orion and to know that every one of my ancestors— no matter how far back you go, 
was able to look up and see that same group of stars in the same way and perhaps connect to it in a similar manner is something that gives me great comfort. It was not that long ago that I discovered that, you know, we, we see Orion the Hunter from Greek mythology, but of course, it's much older than that. Even the Egyptians saw in that group of stars a particular connection. They embodied it as the god Saw, and the god Saw is something of a unique god in, in, in the Egyptian pantheon. You're probably familiar with Isis and Osiris, Ra, those, uh, those groups of there, but, it, but it's, it's, it's Saw, what we call Orion, that is the quote-unquote father of the gods. He is more than, more than all of those. He's, he's so important that this is where this group of stars, this is where the spirits of the pharaohs go when they die. They go back to be with the father of the gods, Saw, or as we call it, Orion. Some years ago, it was realized that the, the pyramids on the Giza Plateau are lined up with Orion's belt. And this set off a great wave of archaeological speculation as to why and all that sort of stuff. But it, they just never really, I guess they just never really connected with the fact that, that Sa was so important to the Egyptians that they connected with him on a level that I feel the same connection with Orion with. It's It's hard to explain. It's hard to it's hard to make people understand that. It's hard to get people to to grasp what's going on there. For me, being able to see the night sky is something, I wouldn't call it imperative, but when I can't see the stars, as once upon a time I could not, it's it's something that really, if you were to ask me in those days even, that I was on the submarine, what did you miss the most? It would be the stars. It would be being able to see the night sky. And in fact, while Orion in and of itself is something of great importance to me, I was uh, I was born in 1963, as you've probably figured out by now. In the fourth grade, I learned about Halley's Comet. And I learned that Halley's Comet was coming back to Earth in 1986. And I made plans. I made... I wrote in my journals. I did things to prepare for that day when Halley's Comet would return to Earth in 1986 because I knew it was going to be my only shot to see it. And the, when it came back, guess where I was? <laughs> Underwater. It is. Uh, it will always be one of the one of the biggest regrets of my life that I didn't get to see Halley's Comet because. I was doing something else. I was at sea. I was unable to go out. I was unable to see not just Orion, but I wasn't able to see the wasn't able to see the comet either. And that has has stuck with me for many many years, I guess. It's just a reminder of how important that was to me. The other day when I was uh concerned about this COVID thing, I was, it was kind of weighing on me quite a bit. I, I was delivering groceries, as you know, 
it's a critical industry. It's, uh, you know, I I will say that it's been remarkable because it's been uh, a completely different feel to it since this COVID thing started. Uh, Prior to that, we were a service industry, and in some parts of this area, we were treated like servants. Uh, but now it's a much different feel to it. It really, it really is. And it's a much more, um, I wouldn't call it pleasurable thing to do, but it, it is nice to see that people need you and they're, they're excited to see you because they know what it represents. I was driving the truck and I was, it was getting late and I was tired and the news was just going on and on and on about how bad this was going to get. And I, I think it was the day that, If I remember right, Governor Newsom predicted that 25 million Californians were going to get this. And the same day, New York was saying the same thing. And again, I'm not here to argue about the veracity of their numbers. I'm not here to to debate the truthfulness of it. What I want to talk about is my own emotional feelings here, my own emotions of this. This afternoon in the. In the car, Ben was asking me, "What's what? why is this such a big deal? And so we had a long chat about it. And again, most of what I do here is to record those things so that someday Ben will have why I thought the way I did. And I invite you to come along with me. I was feeling very blasé about it. And I got out thinking I would, uh, <laughs> thinking I would be able to, to deal with, with what was going on. And of course, as I got home, I went outside, looked up at the sky, and it was black. There was not a star to be seen anywhere. It was it was like smothered darkness. I mean, you could almost feel it. You couldn't see anything beyond a few feet in front of your face, and the, the sky itself was completely dark, and it just... It just added to my sense of gloom. It really did. It just sort of added to my sense of crap. Now I still don't feel good because I can't talk to my oldest friend. I can't see the sky. I can't see the stars. I feel like I did in the middle of a patrol all those years ago, sitting underwater going, I just need, I just need five minutes to go outside and talk to Orion and I can't do it. And it left me feeling much more. I'm not sure what the term I'm looking for. It left me feeling even even colder, I guess, in a way. But, you know, I'm a historian. And for me, I look to history not just for interesting people and interesting things. I look to history for connections. Because I believe very firmly that history is really about people, not dates and places. It's about reasonings. It's about whys. It's about not just what happened, but how did it happen that way? What was it about that particular moment, that particular place, that particular issue that caused that to happen? Why was it, why was it doing it at, you know, I mean, really, it's about people. It's not about just, you know, where and when and i guess i guess that's hard to explain sometimes people people don't always understand that people don't always agree with that and that's fine i get it but for me i look for those connections and i realized standing there 
that by no means was this the first really dark night in history. For all the things that are happening to my country right now and my world right now, there have been other dark nights. We're getting ready to celebrate Passover, which, according to the Talmud, was one of the darkest of nights when the Passover occurred and the redemption of the Israeli people, the Jewish people. So when it's darkest the most is usually when something really positive, really exciting will come out of that. And that's perhaps something I wasn't thinking about. And there came to me in my thought processes the reminder of once upon a time. There was a place quite a ways from here, about as far away from here as you can get and still be, you know, technically in the United States, a little place in Baltimore, Maryland. Now, I've been there. It's a fascinating place to go. It's a place called Fort McHenry. And there on that fort, built after the American Revolutionary War, the idea was to protect the harbor at Baltimore and keep people from going in and out of there. And there came a time during the War of 1812 when Francis Scott Key, you know his name, was aboard a British ship. He was being held hostage, technically, aboard a British ship. And the British were attempting to take Baltimore Harbor, they, but they had to get past Fort McHenry. And in doing so, they began this bombardment of Fort McHenry, thinking that they would basically pound it into submission, and then simply walk into Baltimore, burn it to the ground as they had done with Washington, D.C. already, and everybody would be, and the war would be essentially won. The night, one of the interesting, the portrayals of Francis Scott Key in this particular moment in history are much like the ones that you've, you've seen on the internet there are paintings, there are stylized portraits, there are, you know, you, you see, I, I, for those of you watching the video, I'm showing you one of the most famous ones now of him standing on the the uh, the edge of the ship, holding onto the rigging and with his hands out towards Fort McHenry and the, the flag in the distance and all of that. And it looks really impressive and it looks great. And of course, that's not what happened, is it? What happened was a very... Very, very dark, dark night. A night dark, so dark, that it was almost impossible to see anything. And in fact, it was only the bombardment of the fort that made it possible to see anything at all. And even with that, your smoke was, uh, when when the flash of the lights would go off and the bombs would burst and the, the rockets would, would glare you could see for a moment, but then the smoke would obscure it again, and you, you couldn't see anything. And the fight went on and on and on. And in the morning, of course, Francis Scott Key, along with the other uh, hostages on the ship, went to the edge of the ship because they, they knew. I mean, here's the part that, that is kind of silly. They knew that the fort hadn't surrendered because the British were still shooting. The fort had surrendered, well, maybe they would take the flag down. Maybe they wouldn't take the flag down. If the flag was still there, it would mean that the Americans had said, essentially, no, we're not, we've not yet begun to fight. 
the flag wasn't there, maybe it would mean it was all over. We sing those words and we say those words all the time to ourselves. We, we, we repeat them as if they're rote memorized. We, we know them inside out. We can sing them in our sleeps. We, can, we, we, we know the words to the song. We understand the, 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 the tune and there's all these arguments about, well, we need to change this because it's, you know, it's a, it's a terrible song. The lyrics are this or that. The, you know, it's not as beautiful as America the Beautiful or God Bless America, which we can't sing either because it mentions God in it and so forth and so on. By the way, so does the Star Spangled Banner. But I think what I realized the other night, the other night as I was looking out into that incredibly dark sky again, missing the opportunity to be able to talk to myself, I get it, but to be able to talk to the constellation Orion, to be able to to talk to my oldest friend, as it were, what I what I realized in that moment was there have been dark nights in this country before. We have had nights like Christmas, 1775, when George Washington crossed the Delaware on a dark, stormy night. We've had nights such as in the 18, War of 1812, when the bombardment of Fort McHenry led to our national anthem. We've had nights that, we've had nights that seemed so dark. And yet, those words are still there, aren't they? And that's, I think, we lose the meaning sometimes of those words because we sing them so casually. We sing them so, it's, it's a throwaway thing. It's a rote, memorized, traditional thing. We almost, we almost at the point where the, where the last two words of the song are play ball. And we don't really hear what's being said, do we? That dark, dark night where nothing could be seen. Not even the British could see the fort. The fort could have surrendered at midnight. They wouldn't have known because they couldn't see it. It was so dark. Everyone had to wait until the dawn's early light. When Francis Scott Key penned the emotional moment, words of that moment. Oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming? Whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight or the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming? Rockets' red glare, bombs bursting in air, they gave proof through the night that the flag was still there. Oh, say, does that star-spangled banner yet wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave? It's a question. And it's a question that we have to ask ourselves now. As dark as things seem, as, as tragic as things seem, and as they may yet get be, we don't know. This is what I tried to tell Benedict. We don't know what's going to happen. But we've seen dark nights before. We've seen nights darker, perhaps, even than this. And through all of those nights, no matter how many clouds or smoke or whatever was over us, Orion, 
saw the stars, the constellations, the Milky Way, the stars of our flag were still there, weren't they? It's an amazing thing to me that we still have that flag that Francis Scott Key saw that morning. Did you know that? How many of you knew that? That we still actually have that flag that he saw that morning. Many years ago, it was found at the Smithsonian, and it was sort of sort of restored. And then I got to see it in the 1980s uh, when it was still under a photographic shield kind of thing, and you could only expose it to light for a few few moments at a time, and then and then you uh, then you went on your way you you couldn't take pictures of it you couldn't do anything like that today you can go see it it is preserved and still there and you can go to the smithsonian in washington dc and still see that flag standing there which on the shore dimly seen through the midst of the mists of the deep where the foe's haughty host in dread silence reposes what is that which the breeze over the towering steep as it fitfully blows, half conceals, half discloses. Now it catches the gleam of the morning's first beam. In full glory reflected, now shines in the stream. Tis the star-spangled banner. Oh, long may it wave. O'er the land of the free, and the home of the brave. I think that as we go through the rest of this COVID crisis, this COVID event, this black swan occurrence, this lifetime pandemic, whatever you want to call it, it, in those moments when we feel hopeless, in those moments when we feel scared, in those moments when we feel like there's nothing more we can do, we just need to remind ourselves that the dawn is still coming. And even though we can't see the stars right now, when the sun comes up, the morning's first gleam catches the edge of our flag. It will still be there. There will be plenty of time to talk about what may change, what may not change, and we'll have plenty of time to discuss that. But this will not destroy us. This will not take out America. And anyone who thinks so knows nothing of our past, nothing of our will as a people, nothing of our spirit. Most importantly, they don't know why we sing those words. Maybe they should learn. What do you think? I got to get going. Take the time right now. Tell the people that matter in your life you love them very much. You'd miss them if they weren't there, so don't pass up those opportunities. You don't want to have that regret. Plausibly Live, I'm Dave Bowman. This is my show, The Dave Bowman Show, right here. TheDaveBowmanShow.com. We'll see you next week, everybody. And uh, Rod and I will be here this weekend. Take care. was a Slippery Fish Entertainment production for the Podcast 99 Internet Radio Network. For more information or to complain about how the show offended you, the text or voicemail number is 209-565-DAVE. 
For more information about the show, log on to the DaveBowmanShow.com. Hey, I'm going to go do something productive. I'm going to go watch television.